All right, Caroline. I am stuck. They don't give me passwords to things around here, and rightfully so. Isn't she wonderful? <laughs> Give her a hand. She'll get there. While she works on my PowerPoint presentation, hope you're uh, happy to be here in the house of the Lord. We've been talking about this idea of sacrificial living, that um, the life that we lead is not, it's not easy right? If you came to the Christian life and you thought, oh, God saved me, now this is going to be a piece of cake from here on out. All I've got to do is just read my Bible, go to church, maybe throw a little money in the plate when it's passed later. God calls you, Jesus says, to take up your cross. But how often? Dottie, come on, fill me in. Every day, take up your cross and follow him. There is a daily call to sacrificial living. A daily call to take up your cross and follow him. And there are some days you don't want. You don't want to lift up your cross and follow him. Right? You would rather there are days where you just could relax. I don't think God is calling us not to rest or relax, but he is calling us to a, to a higher vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago... Um, um, my daughters um, called me and said, hey, Dad, you need to watch this show. And I thought, I'll tell you the title in a second, and you'll see why I went, I don't think so. Then one of my sons called me and said, hey, my wife and I are watching this show, and you should watch it. And I said, well, your sisters told me to watch it too. It's called Cheer. And... Um, so I'm thinking, you know, pom-poms, cheerleaders. It's about a college cheer team. A couple of things about that. Well, number one, I had no appeal to watching girls in pom-poms and cheerleaders. And number two, I thought it was creepy. You know, <laughs> I'm a little old to be watching a show about cheerleaders. Uh, you understand uh, I was trying to... So uh, I, I, Kathy and I started to watch it because I felt there's protection in watching it with my wife. This is the kind of cheerleading Here they're to talking the about. Here to national champions, Navarro Cheer.
Now, you can see why suddenly I didn't think there was not one pom-pom in that whole routine. Uh, I know that some of you are probably, um, some of you have already seen the show because I could see some of you pointing like, oh, there's Lexi and there's so-and-so. And some of you have already seen the show. You knew the characters uh, that you were looking for. Others of you are like probably bothered uh, by the dance moves. I, I, I understand I wanted to show you this not because I'm advocating cheer, although I think it is an incredible athletic, um, what they're doing is gymnastics. It's not really, what fascinated me about this show was this. The lady who at the beginning was talking to Ellen is the coach of the team. The team is in Corsicana, Texas, which is like 45 minutes south of Dallas. I've been to Corsicana. There is nothing in Corsicana. And this is a junior college, Navarro Community College, Navarro College. They're 14-time national champions against other junior colleges, and they've won the grand um, trophy, whatever it's called, uh, four or five times, which is against all colleges, uh, big colleges um, around the nation. This lady has built a dynasty of cheer. And they don't have any facilities that are decent. They don't have, it's not a very big school. But the kids that you saw come from all over the country. It has become the destination for kids who want to do this. Now, here's the part, again, I'm getting to a point, actually, about the, <laughs> doesn't sound like it, but, yeah, I'm getting to a point. The point was this. As they did the background stories on all of these kids' lives, I, I mean, the kids that you just saw, they looked beautiful, did they not? They came from broken homes, families where their parents were, had, were deceased. They were bullied. Uh, some of them were homeless. Uh, some of them, there's one girl who was on there, you, you couldn't tell which one, but uh, her, her, her mother abandoned them, their dad her dad got a, remarried to another woman who didn't want them. He bought them a trailer in Wyoming, and she and her brother raised themselves in a trailer in Wyoming. I, I mean, the stories were just devastating, one after the other after another. And what they found in this uh, coach, who is really tough but really loving, is someone who would make them into a family. They would, by the end of this show, you realize these kids would die for this coach. She's a believer. Um, she goes to church there in Corsicana. They don't talk a lot about her faith. I've seen some other things since then. But what she says is, I, I, I'm going to teach these kids not only how to be the best at this, but how to, how to love one another well. I came away saying, Dadgummit, that cheer team is more like the church than the church. And it just irritated me that too often what people sense in the church is not a lack of love. And, and I don't want you to, the reason I, it fascinated me was because this woman demanded excellence. She also said, if you break the rules, you're out. There is a no tolerance policy. I mean, she is tough. But at the same time, she knows if something happens to one of them, she's got their back. And these kids have one another's back. How does the church communicate to the world 
that we have this kind of ridiculous love for one another. That we love one another no matter what. Last week, we looked at a couple of points. One, we were created for love. God is love. Love doesn't define God. God defines love. It is who he is. It's not a characteristic of him. It is him. He is love. And you're created in God's image. And therefore, you are created as a person of love. You are created to be in relationships with love. However, we know sin entered the world and everything got broken, everything got corrupted, including our love. And as a result, we were redeemed by love. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. His indes it's indescribable, the gift of Jesus coming, saving, redeeming, restoring. For God so loved the world that he gave. God's indescribable gift to you is a gift of love. He created you for love. He's redeemed you by love so that you should respond in love. Everything that we are is to be in response to what God has done for us. I mean, I, I think this is obvious. I took a whole hour to say it last week, but the obvious, that's what you do when you preach. You spend a lot of time stating the obvious, but hopefully it seeps into our heart, and it's this. You're created and redeemed for and by love. As a result, everything that we are, should we should respond in love to the world around us. Jesus, when uh, he's teaching, is asked, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? Now, I, I'm not sure, again, if the people who are asking the question really want to know what's the greatest, or they just want to say, okay, there's got to be like a top two here. A top one. If I can only do one or two, what are those? And Jesus sums them up. He says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. God created you for love. Love for one another, but really love with him. So the first and greatest commandment is this, love God. Then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, he's going to get some follow-up questions, as you can imagine. Okay, who's my neighbor? Right? Okay, do you see the kind of self-centered nature of even our response in love? Okay, I get it. Love God. That makes sense. And then love your neighbor. Okay, well, who's my neighbor? He teaches basically everyone is your neighbor. And we're to respond in love to the world around us. We're going to look at a passage from Luke today in Luke 6. We all know about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus' famous sermon, his followers come. and Well, Luke 6 there's a sermon that's really similar to the Sermon on the Mount, except it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Um, it, it, instead of going up to a mountain, they come down to a plain, a flat area. And it's very similar in its context to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you get the, uh, the Matthew 6.33 passage. 
um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, and you get that idea about what it is we're supposed to do. First, seek God and his kingdom. Well, in this passage in Luke 6, he's going to give us um, some characteristics, an idea about what does it mean to love. So, last week, we're created for love, redeemed by love. We should respond in love. I mean, it makes sense. That This is where it gets really hard. The lessons Jesus gives here are very very challenging. Kind of like my PowerPoint. Caroline, you're just going to have to work it for me. It's, it's, it just it, it shut off altogether. It was working so good. It did great last week. And then this week we have a network error. I'm going to depend on you, Caroline. So first point is this. Kingdom love, the kind of love we should have, is grace love. It, it is a grace-like love. And I'm going to walk us through Luke 6, verses 27 and following. Here's how it starts. But I tell you who hear me, love your... Oh, my goodness, this is so hard. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Suddenly, this whole love your neighbor thing just got ramped up, didn't it? I mean, we... He's going to go on and we'll see some points, but he, he's saying there's a grace love. In other words, you cannot love your enemies unless you extend grace, right? I mean, think about this. If, you, if you're responding in love to someone who hates you, your natural response is going to be go Rambo on them, right? I mean, that's, that's your idea. You, you're like, okay, I'm going to love them into submission. I'm going to love them till they hurt worse than me kind of thing. I mean, that's how we start to define American-style love. No, we're to offer grace to them. There's this game that we used to play a long time ago. I hated this game. Uh, it was a kind of a card game. It was called Scruples. Do you all from the Dark Ages like me remember this game, Scruples? You would draw a card, and it was a hypothetical situation. Like somebody gives you uh, $20 too much in change at the grocery store, what do you do? Kind of thing. Well, the first thing you do in this game is you lie like a fool. I mean, you're not going to tell people what you really do. You're supposed to tell the truth, but most people just lie uh, when they get these cards. And a lot of the cards had to do with situations where somebody did you something wrong. How are you going to respond? I, I hate hypothetical situations. I just don't, I don't like them. I won't even talk generally in, somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, let's just say that there's a guy who does this. And I'll generally say, I'm sorry, I don't do hypotheticals. Why? Because life is different than hypothetical. We can, we can make up things hypothetically. We can, we can imagine our best self now. But that's not who we really are. Apart from the grace of God. Do you remember the parable of the unmerciful servant? There's a servant who the master forgives an incredible debt of. And then this servant, another servant, fellow servant, owes him like a dollar or two. And he can't pay him. So he gets him thrown into prison. I mean, he's received this unbelievable mercy. But this little bit of mercy that he's supposed to be doling out to the person that's like them. 
That's like, that's how we are in reality. That's not a hypothetical, that's a real. The only way we can love in kingdom love is to be filled with God's grace. Kingdom love is a grace kind of love. Second point is this, kingdom love is not mere sentimentalism. It's not mere sentimentalism. In other words, it's not an emotion. We reduce love to a feeling. But love is so much more than a feeling. Um, you know, it's not, you're not hooked on a feeling here. You, you're, you're in the presence and power and the grace of God. Here's going on in Luke 27, backing up into that same verse book going on. But I tell you the truth. Excuse me. But I tell you who hear me. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone hits me, just turn the other cheek. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him. from taking your tunic. Takes your outer garment, give them the inner one too. Now, I, I say it's more than mere sentimentalism, more than emotion, because this goes way against our emotional feeling. Oh, you want to have my coat? Take my tunic as well. You hit me on one cheek? You see, when we get stuck in this idea about emotion and love being an emotion... All we're going to do is respond when emotionally we feel like we're receiving. We're, we're going to be dependent on the circumstance, not everything else. So, here's the thing. Before you loved God, God loved you. If God waited on you to love him before he responded in love, then we would never love God. We love because God first loved us. How do we love people in the same exact way? We love people like God loves them. We see them. We turn to them. This kingdom message that Jesus is giving to his followers, you know, we see a lot of the, the Sermon on the Mount as just this impossibility. You know, like um, where he says, don't murder. You've heard it said, don't murder. I say, if you, you have hate in your heart, to, you've committed murder already. I mean, that's tough. But this lesson on love, loving your enemies, loving those beyond mere emotion, giving to them more, it's incredibly. It, it has to come from the grace of God in our lives. Next point, kingdom love is more than interchanging deeds. More than interchanging deeds. So many times we love um, kind of based on what we think we're going to get back at the moment, right? I'm going to, I'm going to love Brian Shoup because Brian Shoup's like me, and he's going to love me back. He's going to, I'm going to give something to Brian. Brian's going to give something to me. That's the limit of our love. And honestly, people, you don't know it, but in your heart, you always are measuring. It's just the nature of our fall. <laughs> we are always measuring. In and up, left to ourselves, the only people we're going to love are people we think can, can give back to us in that moment. Again, looking at Luke 6, if someone strikes you on one cheek, what are you to give him? 
give them the other. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Wow. Don't demand it. He, take, he, he took it from me. My two-and-a-half-year-old grandson is here visiting us for a couple of days. I've found very few two-and-a-half-year-olds who love to share. Very few. As a matter of fact, like none. <laughs> One of their favorite and early words is mine. Mine. It's built into you. It's built into me. Everything about what we have or we think we have, we call it mine. And we hang on to it. We are not letting it go. We need to look around and see how, how can I love people who may not love me back? How can I love people who aren't going to give me anything back? We're going to hit this. Jesus keeps coming back to this. So I'm going to hit it a couple more times. That's why this sermon has eight points. Like three of them are repeats. But they're worth hearing. Next point. Kingdom love is unselfish. Unselfish. Luke 6.30. Give to everyone who ask you. And if someone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Hey, look, Jesus faced the same thing, didn't he? Jesus heals 10 lepers. How many of the lepers came back and said, thank you for making me well? One out of 10. You can probably expect the same kind of return in your life when you love people. One out of ten, maybe. And listen, let's measure things. Jesus healed a people with leprosy. I mean, he didn't just give them a meal. He didn't just give them even a piece of clothing. He didn't give them something as major as a house or a car. He gave them life. They were outcast. They were dying. They were socially separated. I mean, he gave them, in the healing that he provided for them, he radically changed their existence. And yet only one out of ten comes back and says, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for healing me. Thanks for radically changing my life. Thanks for loving me so much. Listen, our love for others needs to be unselfish. If you're doing it to get thanks back, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And what will happen? You'll quit. If that's your motivation, you'll eventually quit. You'll say, I'm not getting anything out of this. Listen, we uh, celebrate a lot of both benevolence and giving things away, philanthropy, but a lot of it is, is, is rooted in a selfish heart. I, I'm giving away because I need some sort of emotional return on this. And we don't get it. So, <clears throat> what do we do? How, how far do we go in this? Right? 
Let me just stop for a moment and pause and say, look, boundaries are not a bad thing, right? So there, there's a way to love unselfishly and with this grace love without being totally taken advantage of in the sense of, Pastor, how far, I, I've got this friend who I keep pouring love into them, but they, they're just, how far do I go? You know, I, again, hypotheticals I'm not really keen on, but I think there is a place of healthy boundaries that you need to build or you'll be destroyed. You need God's grace, God's wisdom in to know where that boundary is. I can't tell you where it is exactly. There's a book on this topic called, hey, Boundaries. And so you can read it and look it up. It's, it's a Christian book about how to build healthy, how to love well, but also build boundaries in your life. And so I'd recommend that to you. You know, Jesus isn't saying, hey, let people just run all over you and take advantage. Do you remember when Jesus is, um, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just prayed. His disciples are with him. Judas with the band of Jewish leaders comes and arrests him. And, and one of them takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest servant. And then his followers see what was going to happen. They said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Now, if you think about it, this, it's a really interesting passage. He doesn't say, what the heck are you boys doing with swords? You know, he's not, he doesn't, he, in other words, he hasn't said to them in this three-year period, don't carry a sword with you. Why would you carry a sword? For protection. In other words, he's not saying, don't protect yourselves. Do you see my point here, I hope? He's not saying, just let people run all over. What he's saying is the kingdom is, of God is not going to advance through a sword. It's going to advance through love. But he's also not saying, hey, let just people, don't you boys carry swords no more? I mean, he prevented him at that point and he healed the ear. So there's a way to be unselfish, but at the same time, build healthy boundaries is what I'm, I'm trying to say. Figure it out. Next point. <laughs> I'm working on it myself. <laughs> Well, that was helpful, Pastor. Thanks. <laughs> Kingdom love is empathetic. Kingdom love is empathetic. Here we go. Golden rule time, people. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I mean, everything changes here, right? Doing to others. Empathy is not merely an emotional response. In other words, he's not saying, hey, Feel for others what they may feel for you. What is he saying? Do to others. Empathetic love is active love. It is not an emotion. It is not just what we feel. You know, people who... I've had people before say to me, Pastor, I think I have the gift of mercy. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Man, we need the gift of mercy. Yeah, every time I'm around people who are hurting, I just feel so bad. I just really have this heart for them. I'm like, great, what are you doing? Well, nothing, but I feel really bad. I, I emote with them. Look, mercy is not 
about an emotion. The gift of mercy is doing deeds of mercy. Feeling and responding. Doing. Do unto others. Act empathetically in love. And remember, you know, too often we pull the golden rule right out of its context. But what is its context? Its context is all about love. I believe Jesus is teaching what does it mean to be a kingdom lover? What does it mean to be a kingdom citizen and to love as, as he loved? Next point, kingdom love goes beyond payback. Goes beyond payback. Again, here's Jesus sort of repeating himself. Where we were talking about it being unselfish, talking about being acting. Here's what he says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Let it sink in for a second. If you love those who love you, you know, that's the way we think. I'm a, I, I love people well. Well, who do you love? I love those who love me. Okay, well, good starting point. But what credit is that to you? He goes on. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. In other words, he's saying kingdom love goes beyond payback love. If you just say, I'm going to love those who love me back, welcome to sinner world. I mean, even people in the world, they know that much. They see an advantage there. It goes beyond payback. Listen, when you get caught up in the payback world, you pay back both the good and the bad. You can't, it, it, it's impossible to stop yourself once you get in the payback mentality. I'm going to love those who love me. Great. What about those who do evil toward you? Well, I'm going to pay them back too. You remember the story of um, Jacob? Jacob goes, well, he's running from his brother because he stole from him. Birthright and all sorts of stuff. Blessings. You know, he, he's a deceiver. That's, that's what his name means. So he just goes off and he finds the woman of his dreams. Where where you find the woman of your dreams? At a drinking fountain. Doing her sheep. And so that's where he finds Rachel. And, and he falls in love with her. And the dad says, you got to work seven years to marry her. Works for seven years. I'm not sure what happened on his wedding night, but the deceiver gets deceived. And, and rather than getting Rachel, he gets weak eyes. Um, that's what it says about Leah. Um, she had tender eyes, but I don't think it meant tender, like soft, doe-like eyes. It says she had weak eyes, but her sister Rachel was beautiful don't know it's a complicated passage but anyway <clears throat> I'm just gonna say she wasn't a looker <laughs> I know it's clever if you think about it right thanks um, any case we're way off track here <laughs> Leah was never really loved by her husband I mean he didn't say he despised her but Rachel was loved more but the next thing you know, Leah is popping out kids like nobody's business. She's, she's having children, has six sons, one daughter. Rachel has no children, so she gets a workaround. Okay, if I give my servant 
to Jacob, and he has sex with my servant, and the child that's born to her will be my child. It was a legal workaround. Rachel gives her servant a couple of kids. Leah says, wow, this is working for her. I'll give, her my ser- give him my servant because Leah's now past childbearing age. Kids everywhere. Jacob's, Jacob, poor dude, he's being traded for a basket of mandrakes. Hey, if I give you some mandrakes, you can have him. You know, I mean, it's crazy stuff going on. Only one not having children here is the pretty sister, is Rachel. She's the only one who's got no kids by this point until Joseph and Benjamin come along. Here's the point. Once these sisters get caught in this back and forth, and I'm blaming Jacob for the whole business. You know, if Jacob had loved both sisters well, well, first of all, I'm not advocating the whole scenario here. Thank you. I'm not, you know, bigamy, sleeping with servants. I'm not going for the whole thing here. But there's a payback situation that's starting to work in this whole dynamic. And it results in a mess. You know, the whole reason Joseph gets thrown in a pit and sold is because of this whole thing going back. You see family dynamics at a wreck. The whole point here is this. If you get caught in payback love, you're going to get... You're going to get caught in a situation in which disaster is lurking. And you may or may not know it. And it it doesn't take long for all this to incur. Next point. Kingdom love is more than investment. It's more than an investment. What's the difference between the investment and the payback? Payback is the immediate. Investment is for the future, right? So here's the passage as it says. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Man. This is getting hard. Lending. I mean, he's talking, if you lend to someone and you say, look, I'm going to lend you this money. I'm, gonna, I'm expecting a 5%, 10% return on my money. When you come back, he's saying, great, but that's not Christian. That's not, that's not the working of the kingdom. Instead, do what? Love your enemies. Lend to them, even without expecting to get back in return. And again, I think part of this is God's call on our lives. We have to be responsive to what he's saying for us to do. I mean, obviously, if you go out and just lend to all of your enemies, then you'll be broke, and then you'll be borrowing from me, right? I mean, you got to be wise in what God is telling you to do. He's talking about a mentality here that says, all I want to do is invest my love so that in the future, at some point, I'm going to get a return on my love. You may be saying, I don't know that, that that's the way I work. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, think about Christmas. How do you decide what present you're going to give to someone? You know, that person, they give me really good presents. So I need to give them a really good present. 
so that they can give me another really good present. Then you look at someone and say, you know, they give me that stinking fruitcake every year. I'm going to give them the fruitcake they gave me last year. I'm going to give it back to them. Right? I mean, we think of, we think of even Christmas, there's an investment idea with how we give. That's just the way we operate. And again, it is our nature. And God is calling us to a kingdom response that goes beyond our, goes beyond our nature. Luke 14 Jesus says, talking about giving a banquet, but when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors, people who can give back to you, thinking you're going to invest in them. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. Goes on and says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, again, I recognize in this passage there is an investment style of mentality. You're going to get paid back, right? But that's not the point. He's saying most of the time we invest our love at the moment when we think we'll be repaid in this life. And he's saying kingdom love goes beyond this. Instead, and this is the final point, kingdom love is divine love. Kingdom love is divine love. It is the power of God at work within you. It's the only way we can love like God has called us to love. Closing out this passage from Luke 6, and again, I encourage you to go back and look at it. This whole passage, just let it soak in this week about this kind of love that we're to respond in. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This kind of love is a kingdom love. It's a divine love. It's a Father's love. It's the kind of mercy that we're to both receive and then to show to the world around us. We're to walk in this divine love. When we walk in this divine love, then the agape love that, you know, we've talked at times in the past about the different kinds of love that's mentioned in the Bible. The agape love has to do with loving, there's different ways to say it, but loving unreasonably. You know, like just loving just because. You know, uh, I, I heard it a long time ago. It's like somebody saying to me, why do you love your wife? Just because. If I start saying I love my wife because she's beautiful, what happens if at some point, and that's never going to happen, <laughs> that that definition doesn't hold anymore? If my love is dependent on the because of something in her, then what happens if that is not there? What happens if my wife becomes sick? What happens if my wife has whatever it is? Do you understand? I don't love her because of something. I just love her. I just love her. And though our love is a little different than... There's some other types of love attached to my wife between us. But 
We are to be a people who love each other just because. Because at some point, I'm going to disappoint you. At some point, and I'm not saying, I try not to, to do any of the pedestal. I try to knock myself down all the time, in a sense, with us, just to let you know I'm a real person. But even so, at times you think, oh, he's the pastor. He's got to be like this or he's got to be like this. Look, if you really knew me, really knew me, then you know I am a very imperfect person. What happens when that model of perfection that you have for a pastor or whoever is not there anymore? So he's like, I don't have that for you, so don't worry about it. We're all good here. I'm just, I'm just saying, at some point, I'm going to disappoint you. Are you still going to love me? Well, if it's based on that thing, then the tendency is to move away. What happens when your husband or wife or child or friend or church member? That's your closed circle. Jesus has gone way out from beyond that and says, love your enemies. Love them that hate you. Some of you are saying, well, I can't love them Democrats. You know? And then some of you are Democrats here. I can't love them Republicans. Doesn't love, to, love those who hate you. Show God's love to the world around you. Because... God's love is, it, it's a grace love. It's more than an emotion. It's not just about exchanging good deeds among each other and exchanging love. It's totally unselfish. It's empathetic so that it does, it responds. It goes beyond any kind of payback. It's more than just investing for the future. It is divine. Back in the 80s, Mother Teresa was in New York and a reporter said to her, basically, what are you doing here? And she goes, I'm being loved and I'm showing love. And the reporter says to her, well, that must take a lot of money. And she goes, no, it takes a lot of sacrifice. The sacrificial love that God is calling us to do and to show to the world around us takes a giving away of our lives. If you love your life and if you love yourself, you won't show this kind of love to the world around us. Live sacrificially. Respond in love to the world around you. Lord, I pray for us today. Lord, I'm preaching to myself so hard this morning and saying, God, I need a fresh expression of your love, both revealed in my life and shown to the world around. God, may your love prevail in this place. May your love prevail in us. May we love ridiculously. May we show the world around. May we show our enemies. May we show everyone this love with which you've loved us. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we rejoice in you. May fullness be a loving place. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to take up an offering.